Okay, welcome to our March Issues Forum on daycare in Wisconsin. Um, I'm Eileen Nettleton. I'm president of the Dane County League of Women Voters this year. We're going to begin with uh, a condensed version of our program planning workshop that we had planned for February 23rd that Mary Anglem, our program director, had so carefully planned. And uh, with the help of a program committee and facilitator, Georgiana Hernandez, and we're going to have a little bit of chance for Mary first to tell about that, and then we'll be on with the program. Some of you may remember that we used to ask the units to tell us what issues they were most interested in for the coming year. And we're back to try to revive that tradition and see if we can get some direction from the membership. So we're trying to um, get a read from the membership on what you would like to spend the next year concentrating on. And there's a, a number of choices. Obviously, next year we're going to be crazy busy with um, voter services, getting people registered, getting out education about how voter ID works and all that sort of thing. Um, so that's something that's our core mission and that we'll probably want to keep working on. We also have coming up next year the centennial of not only the 19th Amendment, but the founding of the League of Women Voters. So we want to celebrate both of those events um, to say nothing of the fact that we, we here in Madison or Middleton or Dane County were one of the very first League of Women Voters chapters to be uh, established. So there's lots to celebrate next year and we'll want to spend some time on that. But there are other things that are on our plate too. Obviously, um, questions having to do with voting rights are going to be very important in the next year or two. And we may want to have some forums or have some discussions on that general topic. We also have been um, talking in the league about uh, a big project called Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity, or I got it backwards, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, which means thinking about how the league can reach out to communities that are not traditionally involved in the league um, and see if we can't establish a, a better working relationship with some of those, those organizations and communities. So um, with that in mind, you have my very first Google form that I've ever written. <laughs> and it shows my amateurishness. And it's probably almost incomprehensible. But if you take one of these yellow sheets and simply look at the general subject areas, one through eight, um, you have three votes. So you can vote for, put all your three votes on one uh, topic or split your votes among three topics, it's up to you. But just check off the three general areas that you find most um, interesting or most uh, crucial for us to be putting our time in on in the coming year. And turn that back in. 
Um, you don't have to put your name down, but if you do, I'll probably call you up and ask you to help me with it. Um, then um, on Saturday, if you are in the mood for a meeting, at 10 o'clock at the Central Library, um, we will, uh, whoever is interested in doing so, will sit down, go over these surveys, and try to draft a proposal that will go to the board on next Wednesday. So it's a heavy workload for a very short period of time, partly because of the weather, which uh, fouled up our plans to some extent. So are there any questions? If you don't want to do a paper survey, you can go to an online survey. The instructions for that are in your weekly e-news that you received on Monday, the one that was entitled Busy. So <laughs> if you look up Busy on your email, you'll find that e-news and take it from there. Okay, that's part one. Part two, I think this is going to be one of the very best forums of the year. I'm so happy that these two friends of mine are here with me. It's my, my privilege to introduce them. Um, this is Peggy Hack, who is the outreach coordinator for the Wisconsin Early Childhood Association. And with her is Jen Bailey, who is the executive director of an organization called Reach Dane. Reach Dane is a private nonprofit, but it serves um, to um, administer the Head Start programs in Dane County. So it's a very important, important and, and productive um, organization that I had never heard of, and I'll bet maybe some of you have never heard of it either, but you're going to hear about it tonight. Um, Peggy, I've known Peggy since before I knew her because um, she was uh, offering childcare at a time when my goddaughter was in need of childcare. So I, that was more than 25 years ago, and I can say that Beatrice turned out fine. So. <laughs> So when Peggy and I finally met, it was um, a real pleasure to be able to have that history already. <clears throat> She's been a hands-on provider of childcare for her whole career, plus very active in what you might call the, the meta um, data part of childcare. The Wisconsin um, Early Childhood Association works to give support and money and skills to people in the profession of child care. And we're going to find out that they really need that. So it's a great professional organization that um, we'll find out a little bit about. Um, what else can I say about Peggy? She lives in my neighborhood. She goes to my church. And we've been good friends for years now. So uh, we were at a New Year's Hope and House. We happened to be at, Peggy started talking about the his, her, her take on the history of childcare in the last 30 years. And I thought, we've got to get her to the League of Women Voters. It's such an interesting topic. So that's why um, I prevailed upon her to start with uh, a discussion of the history of childcare as she's known it. And Jen 
uh, was recruited by Peggy because this uh, Head Start program in Dane County is so important to all of us. So with that, I will pass the microphone or the speaker's, well, speaker's podium on to you. Do you so I don't think I need the microphone. Can you all hear me? I can hear me. I am mic'd. All right. I'm going to stand over here because I have to scroll down this little slide. So thank you for welcoming me, and thank you, Mary, for having a conversation with me that brings you here. I mean, I hope that everybody, when you're done with this, I hope everybody thinks childcare is a really important issue to me. It is important to me, of course. So I look at this little child on here, and the first thing I think, and that Jen and I agree on, and I think you all would agree as well, is that every child deserves to be happy, every child deserves to feel safe and secure and loved, even when his parents or her parents are at work. Every child needs to have the quality of early learning experiences that put them on a path for success. Every single child, and some, and children don't, they don't determine who they, the circumstances of their birth, right? They're born into a family, and they need our support to get all of it that, is that they deserve. So as Mary said, this kind of started out of us talking about a little bit of a history, and I'm going to do this so fast, but I called it actually a herstory because it starts with my history, because obviously the history of childcare goes much farther back than I do. Um, we've always been taking care of children, but my herstory, and I actually feel kind of proud of calling it herstory because 98% of the people who do childcare are women. It began in the 70s, and so I'm a product, or I came of age during that time of the anti-war movement, the uh, peace movement, the women's movement, the civil rights movement, at a time when young people felt like they were, they could change the world, right? That that's the spirit that I came into this work with, and I really believed that my job of changing the world was to start with the kids and change the world for the kids, because they would grow up to be our leaders, and that would be my way of changing the world. Um, and so the women's movement, and I considered myself a, as a feminist at that time, I still consider myself a feminist, but they kind of left behind, I must say, the world of traditional women's jobs. And, uh, and we call them out on that sometimes, I have anyway. Um, but so that's where I was grounded. So for me, the 70s and the 80s, were, became a time of me doing, in addition to working, finding other people who felt like I did. And we literally were community organizing. We were organizing, we had an organization called the Madison Area Child Care Workers United. And this was happening all around the country, and we were finding other groups of people who were saying, hey, we want to we do the change the world for the kids, but how can we do that when we're struggling to survive ourselves? So I had a four-year degree and I was making minimum wage, um, doing the work that I loved to do and doing community organizing. And then in the, so that's what was happening in the 80s. In the 90s, 
these groups all around the country started coalescing, and there was a, a movement called the Worthy Wage Campaign. And all over the country, people were coming together and trying to put out this message that, hey, there's a problem in childcare. People, uh, well, the problem is, as we said on the flyer, I think, uh, parents can't afford to pay and providers can't afford to stay. So it was, there's, this, there's this problem in childcare. And so we had this national worthy wage campaign. And we felt like we were changing the world and we were felt empowered. I felt more empowered than I ever had in my whole life. And then, boom, <laughs> the 2000s happened. And what happened with that is that there was a lot of stuff around standards. We had to have early learning standards. And, and if only we were good enough, then we would get paid better. So that's the birth of, of rating quality of childcare programs. And it's actually that movement that's brought us back to thinking about childcare in the crisis of staffing because we've raised the standards, but we haven't raised the pay of the people working in the field. So it's this, there's this big conundrum. So I said, this was, one of our, this was one of our worthy wage slogans that's still as relevant today as it ever was, um, because um, childcare people don't make much money. Um, so when people want me to describe the problem, this is one way it's been described as a metaphor, like childcare is like a three-legged stool, and the three legs of the, school, of the stool are affordability for parents, quality of care for the kids, and compensation for the people who take care of the children. Well, we exist on a very, very, very wobbly stool. And because these things are in tension with each other, when we focus on quality, well, quality costs more money, right? Then we start getting into this place where it's no longer affordable for families. Um, when, we, when we focus on affordability, then we're suppressing wages and we're sacrificing quality. If we focus on wages, well, I would love to see that day because that hasn't happened yet. But it is this tension that's created by these three things. Um, and partly that's because childcare is operating in a private market system for the most part. Head Start is a little bit different than that, but for the most part, it's dependent on what parents can afford to pay. And if you think about what that would be like if uh, parents had to pay for their children's schooling, for example, you can understand it doesn't really work well in the, as a private market system. Um, it kind of fails. And we know it's failing because what we have right now... Actually, I, I want to go back to, to something... No, no, not there, because i got to go back this way. I said what's happening in the 2010 is new voices for change because what we're seeing is a childcare staffing crisis. And that crisis is that people are leaving the field or programs are, if they can't make it financially, they are cutting back on their, on their enrollments. The first to cut is usually infants and toddlers because it's the most expensive care to provide. Um, so we have this programs in communities that need childcare. 
that can't find any childcare um, because either they can't, the childcare programs can't find staff or they can't, parents can't afford their care or whatever it is that there's this childcare crisis. And it's represented by what we call, if you look at this map, which doesn't mean something, but what's much just like that, but um, it's creating what we call childcare deserts where there are areas in our state, so in this state map, where the orange is the darkest, is where the deserts are the worst, um, where there is not enough childcare. So, right, so we have childcare deserts, and the word desert was created, it's defined as, for every one childcare slot, there are three or more children that need it. So here's an example. In Cashton, Wisconsin, it's a place where we've been working, uh, a childcare center closed. It's near Lafarge. Lafarge is where Organic Valley is. Organic Valley is the lifeblood of this area in terms of being a major employer. They can't recruit run young families to come there because the young families can't find childcare. There was a major program in Cashton, had 50 childcare slots. It, in one day, it closed. 50 families were without childcare in one day. I mean, it is truly this kind of thing of parents cannot afford the childcare that's out there, and the childcare programs cannot afford to continue operating. So we can kind of think 54% of Wisconsin residents live in a childcare desert. If we go to rural areas, that number jumps to 68% of rural Wisconsinites live in a childcare desert. And we might think, oh, that's just far away, but in Dane County, there's pockets of Dane County where there's not a, enough or not a, enough high, good quality childcare program. And so right here in this county, people experience this uh, childcare staffing crisis, this conundrum that we have. So I said, I started by saying, there's new voices coming to the fore. I guess that's the good news, is when you get to a crisis, then sometimes people respond. So I want to share with you what some of these new voices are. Um, the first one is, and this started happening kind of in the early 2000s when we went to all the standards and talking about quality, and if you get better at your jobs, you'll get more money, which unfortunately, Childcare programs have been striving, striving to meet quality standards, and nothing's been done about wages. So it hasn't turned out to be true that we just need to get better. But we do have science behind us right now. We have neuroscientists that are just saying, we've got to look at this. The National Academy of Science did a major 2016 publication on the issue of what brain science, brain development science, is telling us about the value of the first five years of life, particularly the first three years of life. But this is the time in life that is unlike any other time because it's a time when this brain is just developing so fast and all these neural connections need to be made. And it's not only that that is happening, the brain is developing as the child's developing, but that how those connections are made depends a lot on their early experiences. 
especially their experiences interacting with other adults. So the other adults that are actually around the child at this time in their life is actually kind of helping to shape what that brain actually looks like, how many connections it actually makes. And so we've got this science now that says, oh, this is like crucial, crucial time. Um, and it's crucial that the people that are with them, and I have to say 74% of children in America under the age of five have all of their available parents in the workforce. So these other people that are with them a lot of their time are crucially important, right? So we have this brain development that's saying, you know, we know for absolute certainty that high quality makes a difference in the lives of children. And, uh, and I love that there's somebody here who can attest to that. I know that that little person there could attest to that if she could or he could. I'm not sure which one. Uh, the other new voices that are coming to the fore are economists. Economists are looking at this as an economic problem, an economic, that's something that the economy depends on childcare. Well, I've known that forever because people who work depend on childcare in order to go to work. We often wanted to, uh, and this is a bold thing, we wanted to strike in the 90s, right? We wanted to say, what would happen? But I still think, what would happen if all of the childcare workers did not show up one day? Uh, it would be catastrophic for our economy, right? But economists have started to actually uh, figure this out, to do the math around this economy. And so here we have, I, oh, I wanted to say this Nobel, um, James Heckman, he's a Nobel laureate in economics, and he's leading this charge, and he's getting people, all economists all over the country to be talking about this. But so he looks at when do we invest in young children, and when is the return on the dollar the biggest? So the return, so programs that are, so it says the, the rate of return to investing in human capital. That's how he talks, that's how economists talk about uh, children as human capital, which is a little bit scary to me, right? But our investment is largest at this back end where we're doing job training and post-school. That's when we have our largest investment, and that's where the, at the time at which it's the least impactful. Not that it's not impactful, and I don't want anybody to think, I don't think any investment in education is not impactful. But the most impactful time is prenatally and in the first three years. And that's also the time that we invest the least. So he's talking about for every dollar invested, we could save, we could have a $13 return on investment. So people, whoa. Sorry. So people that invest, uh, so we, we say there has to be a bigger public investment because we would get the return on that dollar. And where does that return come from? It comes from, these are some of the ways that they're talking about it. Higher rates 
of high school graduation. When high school kids graduate, and they've got this correlated, it's in the science, it's in the math of the economists, right? So higher rates of graduation typically mean that people are more successful, get better jobs, give more back to the economy. Higher levels of educational attainment, so people are getting better jobs, better health and better mental health outcomes in adulthood, saving money on health care, and lower rates of incarceration. And we already know that our prison systems are overwhelmingly taxing our public dollars, right? So these are the places that they can say there's a correlation between how we, if we would just invest early, we could save a lot of problems and it would save us money later. Does that make sense to you all? Yes. It looks like, yeah, okay. Um, so another voice that's coming to the, to the fore is employers. And I mentioned Organic Valley, but they're not unique. All around the state we're hearing, so we're in a time of low unemployment, which that's good, but it also means that childcare people can find other jobs that pay a whole lot better, including just going to the quick trip down the street, that they can earn more money. So, this, uh, so employers are really suffering, especially when you look at rural communities where they can't recruit and retain their employees. And so there's things correlated with employees talk about absenteeism because of people who have children when the children get sick, or they talk about lower productivity if they can't, if parents are worried. You know, we have parents that you, they talk about how do you arrange for childcare, and somebody will say, well, two days a week my mom takes care of them, and then one day they get to go down to the neighbor's house, and then the other two days my husband and I, we switch off uh, work schedules, and you know, crazy patchwork things like that that's stressful for parents who are working, and it's not great for the kids either in terms of that safe, secure, um, reliable relationships that they count on. So employers, so this was a survey that was done in 2017 at a, at a conference of employers, and they said their number two issue was a lack of available childcare. So they've become a new voice for calling for something's got to change. I think other new voices we've seen, local governments come and there's a collaborative in the Kickapoo Valley where Organic Valley is that's bringing together some really unique voices. The bank president and the, and the clergy of a church and, uh, and the county government that's in the, in the seat at Vernon County. I mean, coming together and talking about how are we going to help address this issue that we're having. So we're seeing some of that. We're seeing more people, justice-seeking kind of groups. I maybe put League of Women Voters in a justice-seeking group, right? Who are saying, hey, things aren't really right. You know, minimum wage needs to go up. Uh, family, paid family leave. We're long overdue for paid family leave. So some of these issues that if those were addressed, they would impact childcare providers. And the workforce is still a voice for change. Not in the same way we were in the 90s, I, I'm sorry to say, uh, but 
maybe we'll come around and be powerful again. But we're still there out there talking about what we need. And then that's why I come and talk to people because I say you could be part of that voice for change of saying, hey, this is a problem that parents who can't afford care can take care of all by themselves. This is, these are our children. All children deserve the best. And let's see what our public investments can do better. I believe they can do better. Uh, so this is a slide. I am going to turn it over to Jen very soon, and she's going to talk a little bit. So I'm kind of talking about big picture. She's going to bring it down into a little bit littler picture and talk more about Dane County. But I really needed to kind of talk about the workforce because it's my passion and it's where I have put my advocacy work throughout my whole career, which is over 35 years now, which is very scary to me. But uh, So this quote, by failing to meet the needs of adults who work with young children, we are threatening not only the well-being of those adults, but also the children in their care. This quote came in 1989, that's 35 years ago, when the first national child care study was done that linked compensation of teachers with quality of care. Um, and, we've, and we have not moved in terms of compensation and well-being. And so we've created a kind, of, a kind of system where we know that we need the very best teachers to be with our very youngest children, and they're not there. Or they're there only until the survival needs of their family tell them they have to leave. Or they're there for a while, but not for the long haul. Um, and their well-being is threatened in other ways, just in terms of, you know, the stress that that brings, that economic stress brings. So these are just a few facts that I just wanted to leave you with before I turn it over, um, that child care workers are an educated workforce. Some people think we don't have any education. Not true. Uh, over half of, child care, of the child care workforce has an associate degree or higher. In the Wisconsin workforce as a whole, that number's 41%. So we're higher than average in terms of education. That uh, advancement in education are not reflected in wages. That people will say it's the lowest return on your educational investment is to go into early childhood education. You'll never get your money back and you will have uh, student debt. Uh, wages are in the range of 10 to $13 an hour. That means people with degrees are making less than the fight for 15 that we're asking for our fast food workers, right? Turnover exceeds 35%, means a third, one out of every three childcare providers is leaving every year. That leaves for a very unstable and wobbly stool, as you remember that stool analogy. Only 17% of this workforce, so these come from our latest workforce study that was done in 2016. I should say that. It was done with the UW Survey Center. Only 17% are eligible for and participate in an employer-sponsored health care program. And 54% of this workforce accesses one or more public supports of their own. So childcare people are often eligible for childcare subsidies if they have children, eligible for food stamps, 
some eligible for Section 8 housing, whatever. So it's a kind of pretty bleak picture. And yet, I did this work for 35 years because I love it. There's a lot of people who do this work because they love it. And because we still believe that we, have, we can change the world, right? We do have to start with our children. They are still going to be the leaders of our next generation. Um, there is in your packet a, a piece from Wisconsin Early Childhood Association that says, what we are asking for in this budget, this governor's budget that's going to be talked about right now. So if you have any inspiration to, uh, to advocate for anything in the budget, these are two things that we're advocating for. One is increasing Wisconsin shares, which is child care subsidy for low-income families. And that subsidy right now is at a rate that's so low that poor families have to pay the difference between what care costs and what they get in subsidy, and many parents can't do it, so they opt to choose lower quality care. Um, so it's just not right. The federally recommended guideline is 75%, like a person getting this subsidy should be able to access 75% of the available childcare. Where we're at right now is the average low-income family can access 15% without having a major copay. So that is, so we're asking for, to get us to the federally recommended rate, I can say really happily that Governor Evers put in his budget proposal getting us up to 50%. If we got to 50%, that would be great. So at least, I mean, we want to get all the way to 75, but if we got to 50, that would be great. Um, the other thing we're asking for is there's two programs that WECA works on for, on behalf of the workforce. One is uh, uh, scholarships, so people don't have to go into debt to get the education that the high-quality standards are calling for. So uh, we have a scholarship program for people that are currently working in the field. It's provided thousands of scholarships. It ends up going on waiting lists as soon as we've used up money. And so we just think it could be better funded. And reward is a compensation initiative that gives bonuses out to people who improve their education. So it's a little bit. It doesn't solve the wage problem, but it helps, and it does in, in improve retention a little bit in the field. Yeah. We, we're going we're to hold questions, but I can't wait to take them. So I'm going to turn this over to Jen. She's going to give a Dane County picture and talk a little bit about what she knows about kids right here in Dane County. Thank you so much for listening. Peggy?
All right, so as Mary said at the beginning, I'm Jen Bailey. I'm the executive director of Reach Dane. And when Mary asked me earlier today, how did you become the executive director of Reach Dane? I said, totally by accident, which was never supposed to be this career or this field. So I got my master's degree in social work right here at UW-Madison and had full intentions of becoming a therapist and working in private practice with grown-ups and took a job as a home visiting teacher for an early Head Start program for what I thought would be a short period of time to get a little experience. And I, as they say, drank the Head Start Kool-Aid. Um, that was 20 years ago, never left, have worked for Head Start in some way, shape, or form all that time. And apparently, if you keep showing up for work every day after 20 years, they make you the executive director. I don't know. So I've been in that role for, for three years now and very, very happy with the work that I'm doing. So the first thing that I actually want to show you is an overview video that we made about Reach Dane um, a couple of years ago. Um, we're kind of a complex organization that does a lot of different things for children and families. So this was our best attempt to kind of show people in a nutshell the work that we do and of course video of our super cute kids, which you absolutely have to see. work that we do, there are wonderful, beautiful moments, and there are also sad, heart-wrenching moments. And one of the hardest things for me personally is the huge increase in homelessness that we've seen in our community in the last few years. I feel, I feel unsafe all the time, you know. Every night I have to sleep in the car with my two small kids, and I really don't sleep often because I'm... You know, it's just it's something that's scary in life. There are children and families right now, right here in Madison, in incredibly difficult situations. And our agency is charged with locating those children and families, getting them enrolled, and getting them the services that they need in order for those children to be successful when they go to kindergarten. We take all of the Head Start applications, do the income verification, so um, walk families through the application process to get their kiddos into Head Start. So we do recruitment, um, explain our program to people, and then help them through the application process. Getting health care, those things, when you don't have an address, is hard no matter where you are. It, um, even sometimes when you have an address and you, have, you don't have the time to go and sit for hours to, to get to sign up for benefits, to go through the things that they ask you to have for the benefits. And when you're trying to do it homeless and you don't have access to all your paperwork, you don't have access to all the things that you may need, it is much harder. The children that come to Head Start are children that are needing a little bit more um, individualized support and especially that family support. We have children who may have trauma in their lives and different backgrounds of you know, mental health needs. Supporting children's social-emotional development is really the foundation of everything that we do. I am one of the two social-emotional consultants, so we provide classroom support um, to make sure that social-emotional needs are being incorporated into the classroom, as well as individual support to kids who might be needing more um, support around mental health needs. and 
not only individual support for the kiddos, but the teachers as well to support them proactively in the classroom. Early Head Start is a comprehensive child development and family engagement program for children prenatally until age three. We offer a variety of services, home-based programming, um, and center-based programming where we are meeting the educational needs of the children and also um, a comprehensive support uh, to the families as well. One area that really separates us from other early childhood programs is that we offer programming to support families' needs and we determine that programming based on community needs assessment data. It's much more than education and the families that we serve are low-income families, many of whom are struggling with different life challenges. Our agency provides comprehensive early childhood services for approximately a thousand children in Dane and Green counties. So in addition to really high quality early childhood programming, we also provide health, nutrition, mental health, and family services to offer a truly comprehensive system of support for families. So a little bit more about our agency. We have this lovely tree that you see here that represents Reach Dane, and then the branches, all of our different programs that we have. So over on the left-hand side is Early Head Start, which is the baby of the family and serves the babies, so appropriate. So it is our program that serves prenatal moms and our littlest ones up to age three. Um, we have a home-based Early Head Start program, which is where I started my career that does once-a-week home visits, child development activities, lots of support for the parent-child relationship. Because as you heard Peggy talking about brain development in those first three years, really making sure that that child has a secure attachment to a primary caregiver, absolutely critical for their brain development. So that's the primary focus of that program. We also have center-based programs that provide full working day, full year childcare for families that have a childcare subsidy and really need that full working day care. Um, I'll talk a little bit more later about the cost of some of those programs. There's a huge need, again, as Peggy had mentioned, for high quality infant toddler care, which is what our Early Head Start program provides. Um, we are only able to provide that right now on a fairly limited basis. We only have three locations that actually offer center-based early Head Start, mostly due to lack of funding. So only about 2% of children nationwide that are eligible for early Head Start are able to be served in that program simply because funding is not available. And I'll talk a little bit more about that further in the presentation as well. At the top of the tree, you see Satellite, and Satellite is a truly unique program. They provide accreditation for family child care providers in the city of Madison. And there's actually no other program in the entire United States that does exactly what Satellite does. 
Um, having an accreditation for childcare is pretty rare for a city to provide, so we're very fortunate to be able to contract with the city to be able to provide that individualized professional development support for family childcare providers who are often quite isolated in the work that they do just based on the nature of their business. So we're very, very proud of that program. And then on the right-hand side, you see Head Start. And we have a lot of different options available within Head Start. Um, we have kind of that traditional half-day preschool program that many of you, maybe your children or grandchildren participated in, where kids either come in the morning for about three and a half hours or in the afternoon. Um, we also now have full school day programs. And our governor right now is talking a lot about full day 4K programming. So kind of the direction that things are moving is wanting that full school day. Like it used to be when my kids were little, it was a big deal that it was moving to kindergarten. Well, now it's moving down to 4K, and I even hear some talk about 3K coming down the road. So we do have that option available for families that need that. And I think particularly for folks who have older children that might be in third, fourth, fifth grade, it's a pretty attractive option to have you know, both your kiddos have that full school day of programming. And then we also do have the full day, full year programs that provide wraparound childcare. And some of those kids might be with us from six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the evening. You know, it can be 12 hour days, five days a week. Many of the families in those programs are headed by single parents um, who are working a couple of different jobs. We have a lot of kids that are picked up at the end of the day to be dropped off with a neighbor, with an aunt or uncle, so that mom can go to the second job that she needs to support her family. Um, often those are our most vulnerable families. Um, these are parents that are working very, very hard, but often don't have a lot of support or resources and aren't able to earn high wages. The funding for these programs is also complicated. So Head Start gives us a little bit of money, which we are very, very fortunate to have that funds part of the day, but the rest of the programming is funded by childcare subsidy or the Wisconsin Chairs program. And I'll show you some data in a little bit that really shows that funding just doesn't go far enough. It, it doesn't meet the costs or expenses that we have, particularly for the littlest ones. Now I have some pretty sobering statistics, so bear with me, there will be a light at the end of the tunnel, but just kind of to paint the picture for you, um, I think sometimes, especially here in Madison, we have the illusion that everything is, is going pretty well for our littlest ones. And unfortunately for low-income families, um, that truly at this point in time is not the case. So we as an agency are serving 1,000 low-income children ages zero to five. And we are only touching the tip of the iceberg of kids who are eligible. And when I say low income, I wanna put that in context for you. So if I'm a single mom and I have one child and I'm working at McDonald's, I would be over income for reach day. And no one on earth can meet ends meet on the salary that that person is making. So we are looking at 100% of federal poverty guidelines are below, which is incredibly, incredibly low income. So this isn't even looking at the folks that are working at McDonald's and a single mom and struggling because we aren't able to serve those people. 
82% of enrolled children are minorities. So I heard Mary talking at the beginning around diversity, equity issues. These are certainly pieces that we are struggling with as an agency. We know that children who are minorities are disproportionately likely to be living in poverty. And we certainly are seeing that play out here in our Dane County communities. And then the last piece of data is the one that truly keeps me up at night more than anything else is the huge increase in family homelessness that we've seen in our communities. So literally over the period of four years, 2012 to 2016, quadrupled, quadrupled the number of homeless infants and toddlers. It more than doubled with our preschool children. And that family that you saw in the overview video at the beginning, um, that was a real-life Reach Dane family. It was mom and dad, preschool child and a toddler, both enrolled in our programs, getting very, very strong case management support, um, home visiting support, center-based support. Both parents were working. They lived in their car for a year, a full year with a preschool child and a toddler in the winter, in all different kinds of weather, for one year. And these are the kind of situations that we're seeing. Um, I heard a story not long ago about a mom being discharged from the hospital this past summer, literally to a park bench with her newborn baby. There was no room in any shelter for her. So we had caseworkers meeting her at the park bench to be able to help her. So I, I think as a community, we have a lot to do in this area. Um, there's a lot of awareness that we need to spread because this, this truly is a huge problem. And it is stretching our resources as an agency to be able to serve these families because they, they truly are in crisis. And because of this, our kids are losing ground. So we do a lot of... Sorry, it's a mobile little podium here. We do a lot of assessment of our kids to look at their development and say, how are they progressing in all the different areas of development? And because we have so many families now experiencing trauma, experiencing homelessness, what we're seeing is if you look at the fall data here, so for example, our social emotional, which is what's at the top of the screen, um, just a few years ago, when kids would come into our program, age three or four for the first time, about 29% of them were not where we would expect them to be for their age. So they, they needed support to be able to catch up. Just a few years later, 44% of them are not where they're supposed to be. In language, 46 of them, so almost half of those three and four-year-olds are not meeting widely held developmental expectations. So these kids already need intervention. And when we hear about the achievement gap in this community, we, we are not gonna catch up until we start providing more support for our littlest ones, because they're already so far behind at age three or four. And our teachers, who are poorly paid, working tons of hours, if you can imagine having a classroom of 17, three and four year olds, and 50% of them are really behind and need your one-on-one -on -one support. That's a huge job, even for our fabulous, talented teachers. So this is becoming an increasing issue that we are really, really wrestling with as an agency. Workforce. 
You know, again, you heard Peggy talk about the infants and toddlers. Um, that's the age group that I, for sure, am the most concerned about. We, right now in our agency, 50% turnover rate in those teacher positions. So what we know about babies, for those of you that have babies in your lives and care about babies, babies want consistency, right? They need a caregiver that's going to be there for them. And this is someone that might be taking care of them for 10 to 12 hours a day. So when there's a 50% turnover rate, that's not healthy for babies. You know, they can't grow and thrive in that kind of environment. So we really, really have to stabilize that workforce issue. And why do they leave? Money. They can't survive on what they're making. You know, I hear stories all the time, and it breaks my heart, about staff that work for our programs that have to go to the food pantry to feed their own families. And I know how hard these folks work and that their heart and soul is in the work. But we lose a lot of staff that go to work for um, UW Health, for healthcare fields, because they can make more than $13 an hour. And their, their kids want to be in soccer and they need to eat. So these are the kinds of choices that people are having to make, and we see that time after time after time. And then our low-income families, it's that, that struggle to be able to maintain care. So Reach Dane is kind of a rare bird in that we are a five-star and young-star program that serves mostly low-income families. That's pretty darn unusual. Um, Low-income low families are in much lower star-rated childcare because that's what they can afford. So we collect the childcare subsidy, um, the Wisconsin Shares funding, and then just charge our parents a small copay. I will tell you that that is not a super great setup for Reach Dane. Um, so for example, we have one infant-toddler classroom that serves 12 children. So this is one, one group. That classroom alone operated at a loss of $50,000 last year. So we as an agency have had to make some really difficult decisions and actually close some of our infant-toddler classrooms because we can't survive. So parents are having to make these really hard choices too for those that don't qualify for us about how do they access high-quality care. Everyone wants their kids to be in a five-star really high-quality program but they have to be able to afford it. Um, I was sharing with Peggy, too, that we have seen a lot of parents in our program that literally have turned back raises at their employers because it would put them just over, if they get a 50 cent an hour raise, they would no longer qualify for Wisconsin shares. So the amount that they would have to then pay in a private pay childcare situation, absolutely totally unaffordable. So when we talk about moving families out of poverty, which is a huge goal of our agency, it's heartbreaking when you see families that start to move forward only to be stuck because they can't afford huge tuition rates for childcare. And then as Peggy was talking about too, the workforce, it's a crisis. You know, parents are having to make these really, really difficult decisions. Um, we see a lot of issues with our parents just with the few days that we are closed. So you know this lovely weather that we've had here in Wisconsin. We've had six days that we are closed to weather, which I have never seen. We, we may not see. Who knows what the weather is these days. 
But for a lot of our parents, that was a real hardship because their employers are not particularly flexible and understanding about the fact that childcare needed to be closed. Um, as a result of one of those weather events, one of our sites had a pipe burst because that's what happens apparently when it gets super cold. Those classrooms had to be closed because we had some serious flood damage and that has caused some real hardships for our parents. So just that impact of the huge need for childcare for parents to be able to, to go out and work is, is critical. Then the true cost of care. Um, I like to tell the story of our a former board president of Reach Danes who came to us from the, the business community. So he was all about, we need to be more efficient. How can we streamline what we're doing? You know, we're gonna be like Nike, only we're gonna make the shoes for cheaper. And he was like, all right, Jen, we're gonna figure out how to do this childcare, but for less money. And I said, no, no we're not, <laughs> and let me tell you why. So what you see in that pie graph is almost all of the money is going to wages. And as Peggy has stated and as I have told you, it's not because we're paying the staff 50 gajillion dollars a year. So if you think about the classroom serving the babies, it's one caregiver to four babies, which in any other field would be a very high, high ratio of staff. But again, for those of you that have ever spent time with babies that had one baby at a time, maybe two babies at a time, imagine having four babies all by yourself, all day long. You may or may not get to pee at some point if somebody can give you a break. Four babies and that is the gold standard. That is considered good quality. And I could have a whole other conversation about how I don't think that's super great. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So truly, to main quality, maintain quality, there is no way to do this cheaper. That's, that's just the reality of the situation. It is going to cost us a lot of money. And in my opinion, and again, thinking about brain development on the return on the investment, it absolutely is worth it. And we're not investing nearly enough right now. There's, there's a lot of work that needs, needs to be done. Okay. So critical next steps. Um, my passion, obviously, is the littlest ones. So when I think about it, our agency, we are not able to offer that center-based early head start, so that very high-quality infant-toddler program only in three locations. And we know that the need is huge. Um, I wrote for a grant opportunity recently to try to be able to expand Early Head Start and started doing research about the number of high quality centers that serve children under two, hardly any. So that is where we need to start. We need to break this cycle of particularly for our most vulnerable kids that they arrive in programming for the first time at age three or four already behind. It's not fair to them. It's not in the best interest of our communities or our society. Home visitation programs, that family support is critical. Being a parent is really hard. I have two teenagers. Oh my goodness, I need a home visitor for them. That's a, that's a whole other training as well. But it's a lot. It's a lot of work. So really that parent support piece is, is critical, especially for families living in poverty. Again, that high-quality care, it's just going to cost a lot of money. And it's so worth the investment. And we have to be willing to put our money where our mouth is. And 
I get super frustrated when I see a lot of lip service paid to children of the future. We love the children, but we need to put our money where our mouth is and step up to the plate because the kids are not getting their needs met right now. And then that, that parent support. And I think about a lot of our parents who may not have had um, a strong relationship with their parents. So how do we support them in becoming their child's first and most important teacher is another really critical piece as well that we focus a lot on in our agency. And then money. So this is a slide that I always show to the new staff in our agency, you know, because of course Reach Dane is a nonprofit. There's never enough money. And this kind of shows the slide. So for us, I get a lot of the misperception of, oh, you got federal money. You're, you're doing great, you know, because they know that our agency has federal grants. No, no. So you can see in this um, graph here, the blue shows the grant dollars that we have coming in. And this is up through 2015. I need to create an updated version. And the red is the expenses. So there, there's a huge gap that we are constantly looking at, how can we do more fundraising? I'm constantly applying for grants, looking at foundations. How do we bring in more revenue to support the work that we do? Just to give you an example, um, we provide transportation for a lot of our kids because otherwise parents aren't necessarily able to get them there. That's how we make sure that kids come to school every day. Just this last year alone, we spent half a million dollars as an agency on transportation. Buses are incredibly expensive, and they break down, and they need to be repaired, and our kids are little, so they need special, you know, little seats to be able to buckle into, but this is critical in making sure that kids can attend, because if they're not attending, they're not getting the programming, and then they're not learning. So money is never, ever, ever, ever enough. So then how you can get involved. Um, there's a lot of different ways at Reach Dane that people can be involved with kids. We know we certainly have folks that love that hands-on experience. Um, we have people that come in just to rock babies. So anyone that is interested in um, holding or cuddling a baby, um, we love that. We have foster grandparents that actually come in to our programs that are assigned to a classroom that usually come in and volunteer on a regular basis um, to spend time with that group of kids. If people just want to come in and read a story, you know, that's perfectly fine too. The kids love it when people come to visit. One of my favorite things to do is getting to um, do site visits because they're just running up to me and hugging me and I get to feel like a celebrity for a minute. They don't ask me for any money, so that's great too. You know, just, <laughs> just seeing the kids is, is really nice. And then, of course, we also accept monetary donations. So our website is reachdane.org. People can donate directly on our website. Um, if you have a specific thing that you would like funds to go to. We certainly have people that say, I would like to purchase books. Other people just prefer to make a global donation, whatever, whatever people feel is, is fine for them. But we love volunteers and support in any way, shape, or form. So this is a new one. So I wanted to uh, also say, uh, Wisconsin Early Childhood Association, one of the things we have is, this is an online, advocacy network. If you're somebody that likes to be kept apprised of what's happening with child care issues, especially at the public policy level, but also what's the latest 
What's the latest news? What's the latest research? If you're that kind of person, then I invite you to sign up, and I've got a sign-up thing. So that's an option for people as well, another way to get involved. And I think with that, we're so, open to, to your questions. any questions. Well, thank you so very much. Um, if we give a hand to them, and then we'll move on to questions. Thank you. Um, I, I think you also... Whoops. Where should I? You, should, you also had some brochures, I believe. I yes, think, I think they're on that are on the, back the on the back table. table. Yeah. So you can pick those up also. Yeah. So okay. So we do have some time for questions. I'll bring the mic around. I'll try to get back and forth around. Uh, my question is: at the beginning of the talk, you talked about how employers are having trouble getting workforce and the and childcare. How many employers actually provide childcare on site? And would, that, would something like that help? I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question, and the answer is not very many at all. Some programs that have tried to do it find that it's too expensive. <laughs> it is expensive, but it also, it's a much more complicated work to do than you know, it sounds like it might be easy, so not many do. Actually, a better way for employers to get involved is to like purchase childcare slots in the community because then they support the community-based childcare that already exists, um, or to provide services to that childcare program. Say, I'll let you lease this space for nothing. You know, that would take a huge burden off of a child care site. So there are ways that employers can get involved short of doing on-site child care because that really, it really has been challenging for programs. It hasn't taken off. Hi. Um, I'm retired now, but I started a dance therapy center in Madison in 1983. It's mm -hmm. called Hancock Center. Oh. And in the early 80s, I hired uh, Rena Kornblum to take over our child and family program. I know Rena, yes. And she developed the programming that's going on now through Hancock Center in the schools. Uh -huh. And she's also written uh, with uh, explanatory D uh, DVDs and stuff. Uh, a violence prevention program for zero to three, uh, zero to third grade, zero to third grade. Third grade. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen a 15-minute video of her work with second graders, and I have a copy, and I haven't seen it yet, of a five-minute vi video, a DVD that Rena says is better than the 15-minute one. But I can't believe that. Anyway, uh, Rena's had a marvelous. Um, capacity to give kids uh, easily, easily learned and executed movement strategies to handle their emotions and their energies. And one of the things you see in the video is kids bursting out, uh, doing um, hand, uh, uh, cartwheels and all kinds of things and working out their energy in ways that are fun and kids should be able to do and then using their energies in expressive things. One of, there's a whole bunch of strategies to prevent violence. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. teaching kids things they can do, also suggesting that they know how to escape harm. But, um, and she's teaching at the U right now. Uh, we don't have, this is one of my questions, there's a possibility that we can get support for a dance therapy major, an undergraduate dance therapy major. I came to Madison in 1974 to teach an undergraduate dance therapy program that's no longer there. Uh, it was extremely popular. High school age kids who love dance don't want to be performers and da 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 da. Mm -hmm. And they were very attracted to our program. When they graduated, they all got jobs. Um, I'm needing some advice here, but I also wanted to promote this idea. When you talk about infants and how they communicate, they don't successfully communicate with words until they're how, what age? Tell me. Two-ish. <laughs> Two-ish and up. Two-ish and up. So when you have programming that uses movement communication that inv is inviting to kids and organizes them and rewards them, shouldn't that become part of this attempt to do some good stuff for kids? Well, I think what, um, what Jen was talking about, she said on the top of their list of ways they support children is that social-emotional development. Yeah. And I think that's what you're talking about, that uh, there is a way for, to help kids integrate their emotions. No, I, I think it's absolutely critical. And part of what we're seeing, especially with our kiddos who have experienced trauma, is many of them have a lot of difficulty regulating their sensory system. So we've actually brought an occupational therapist to try to help us think about how do we build sensory support into everything that we do. So, what you're saying is wonderful. Yes, absolutely. It's huge. Hi there. My Hi. name is Allison. Um, and I wanted to know what local lawmakers uh, can do to help reach Dane as well as WBCA. What local lawmakers can do? The city of Madison actually is quite supportive of early childhood, we're actually far and away above most cities in terms of having a city, we have a city child care unit, is that what it's still called yeah, yeah, in the city? Right. In city government, we actually have some attention paid to that and some supports for satellite and the family child care program and, and child care centers. One thing you may not have understand is Head Start is a federal program, so that gets federal money. So there's a lot of community-based child care that is not Head Start. There's some Head Start that collaborates with community-based child care. So there's a lot of mishmash and a lot of different kinds of things. But so there is, on the city level, we do pretty well. Um, we're, what we really, really need is really our state lawmakers to really invest. And I think both Jen and I said this, for low-income families, it's unacceptable to have reimbursement rates that don't come close to the cost of what, it, of what care costs. And so we're, our state's reluctant to put any state dollars in. 
We did get a boost in some of our federal dollars, but they get to choose how those federal dollars are divvied out. And we're saying, put a big chunk of that into increasing Wisconsin shares. If everybody in this room even got behind that and contacted a legislator and said, we understand this is an issue, Wisconsin shares childcare subsidy has to be increased. That would be cool. I think the only other thing I would add at the city level is that the city currently has what's called a Pathways to Quality initiative. And the goal is to increase the number of low-income children who are cared for in high-quality childcare settings. Because the reason a lot of it isn't happening now is not because you know centers that are serving mostly upper-income families are, are bad people. It's just that financially, if they have a family that just has that state childcare subsidy, they they can't make ends meet. So there has to be an additional funding source to come in to help support that continuity of enrollment for those families. So I know that's a main goal that the city is yeah. working on right now, and obviously funding for that would be really helpful. Yeah, thank you, Jen. If the 3K program does go through, how is it gonna affect centers? <laughs> That's a, that is a hot issue in the early childhood field, right? If 3K, well, it's, it's actually true with 4K too. If we, she said, how will having 3K, or I'm gonna expand that to say could 4K, you, 3K. Could you tell what the 3K oh, and 4K mean? It, it, it actually is public schools taking on a portion of early childhood education. So then that's paid for by public school dollars. Parents really like that, right? Because that is like, it takes away some of this affordability issue because as a society, we've decided that once kids are five, we publicly invest in their education. But until then, it's the parent's responsibility. And most parents can't right now afford that responsibility. So 3K and 4K is controversial because it is a public investment. It does, I mean, there is some accountability in public schools. The reason it's controversial is because it also can take three and four-year-olds away from community-based programs. And when you take kids out of there, you left with more of the infants and toddlers, which is the most expensive care to provide, which leaves them, you know, much more, much less financially secure than they were before, which wasn't financially secure. So it's a it, it's controversial within the field. And then some people think, is this, is, where's the best place for our littlest kids to be cared for? And if 3K and 4K is done in a way that's appropriate to the, that developmental stage, it can be okay. But it's not okay for a fifth grade teacher to think, oh, I can do a four-year-old program because they're really different beings. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Do you want to add to that, Jen? Sure, and I, I think it really depends on the community and what the approach is. So, for example, here in Madison, many 4K kids are served at their community-based site. So our reach day and four-year-olds get 4K programming from their Head Start teacher and any wraparound childcare they need all in the same classroom. So they don't go to the public school and, and come back to us. They stay with the same kids and the same teacher. So that model has worked really well and been successful. I think my other little piece of bias in all of this is again, what about the babies? 
So even when we think about three-year-olds and investing dollars there, it's too late. So we know that those three-year-olds, with that data that I show you, they're behind. So my personal, this is Jim Bailey opinion, is how do we invest more with the infants and toddlers if we really want to make an impact on kindergarten readiness or the achievement gap down the line? I don't think that 3K is, is the be-all, end-all to that solution. We need to look younger. It was, it's really interesting. It used to be we used to talk about what happened in third grade. If a third grader could read, more likely to be successful in high school and, and beyond. Now we look at vocabulary and look at three-year-olds and the level of vocabulary that a three-year-old has can predict how successful that third grader is going to be to learn how to read to then succeed. So it's, it is like we're having this kind of explosion about what is happening in these little minds. Uh, this would be our last question. Oh, no. Okay, and it's sort of a left field question, but um, one hears a lot about how good the childcare is in France. Are there other countries other than the U.S. that is actually reaching those infants and toddlers more effectively than we are, and how are they doing it? Much, much. I wish I had this, the data. I don't, but I could get you the data. The U.S. is like on the bottom of the heap when it comes to investing in our young children. The same as we're at the bottom of the heap in paid family leave. You know, there's countries that have said, that have a tenant of their society that says, we value young children and they are all of our children. They are for all of us to take care of. In this culture, we have this individualized thing that children are the parents' responsibility, and sometimes that's the parents' burden. And so I don't have the data, but all of the Western European countries do much better than the United States. We're like... I, I'm glad we got to hear that. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you again so very much, Jen. Thank you for coming and being with us this evening, and thank you, Peggy. This it was has been very... A very thought-provoking evening. Thank you so much. And if you just bear with us a few more minutes, we have a few uh, announcements and things we want to take care of. Diane, would you give us just a little bit about the follow-up unit meeting discussion group opportunities? No, I'm talking. <laughs> she's, she's, yes. Okay, if you look in the in the actually the uh, the uh, information that you get about the program, there's a discussion question section, and those are for our unit meetings. And the third week of of each month, we have now I think what five six, un six units that are going. Two are opening up. Um, you can just go and join whoever's there and discuss those, those, those uh, topics. The, th the, thing, the whole purpose is, you know, we have the general meeting and we get a general overall of the, pro of the situation and of the topic, and then what, what, what do you do with it? This way, you could go to the unit meetings and discuss it and learn more about it, figure out if there's anything you could do to help it. The, 
uh, units are, us are usually all on the third, the third week, and different nights we have, well, we have a, a one on Wednesday, and I know one Thursday night, and I think one, one on Monday. Yeah, we have them at least most, uh, most of the nights, but they're on the website and on the, uh, all of the information you can get from us when the units are. Yeah. There was an email that went out today with that, too. Uh, so that's a good follow-up. Okay. Thank you, Diane. Um, and I'm sorry this program did not get taped. Oh, they didn't give me a, uh, they didn't give me a battery. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Well, we do have a recording. We have a recording of it. Um, I do want to... Uh, ask you for a few things. If you are a member and would do the, make sure you pick up and complete here the yellow survey if you have not done it online, or you can do it online at home. And I want to again thank both Mary and Georgiana Hernandez for all the work that they've done in working toward our program planning for the upcoming year. Uh, study materials are on the back table. Take them and get some extended uh, materials to chew on. Have a good discussion with your unit meeting and see what action you can take. There's plenty of action that was brought up here tonight. We also invite you to join one of our info socials. The rest of the month we have uh, three more coming up. Remember to vote on April 2nd. There is an election this spring. Uh, get out the candidates' answers online and pick them up at the, with the Isthmus uh, when that's out. And th the next day after the election is our next forum. Uh, it will be addressing water issues related to the League of Women Voters, Upper Mississippi River region interleague organization, thank you. <laughs> and um, we have two of our own members who are going to be the uh, co-presidents for that next year, uh, David and Mary Placer. so we're really pleased about that. Uh, and um, let's see, the last thing I'm always told is to make sure that we leave our name tags at the back table. Do not put them back in place, just leave them on the table. And I want to thank Kelly Warren for helping record the program. So we will have a taped recording. And Diane for being here and being willing to do it even if we couldn't do the other. Uh, the, uh, video recording. Uh, so thank you again so much for being here this evening. Uh, the parking, was was the gate open when you came in? So it will be open. We don't have to get our tickets uh, stamped tonight. Have a safe drive home. Spring will come. See you in April. She's back here. Do you want to check in with her? I'm a veteran. My sister got involved in the discussion with uh, Jenny Butzler early on when they were trying to.